Big week for Player Profiler coming up in week 17 of the NFL season. And look no further than Brian Hill. Now, we don't know if Tevin Coleman's going to play or not. If I had to guess at this point in the week, I would say he's not going to play. If I am the Atlanta Falcons, there's no incentive to play Tevin Coleman as he heads into unrestricted free agency. You might as well limit his production as much as possible before you start contract negotiations. It's just logical. It's cold, hard business. NFL business. But every year around this time, there are a handful of players that emerge in week 16 and 17 for Dynasty Leagues in particular. One of the unique aspects of this show is that we talk Dynasty, we talk Seasonal Leagues, and we talk Daily Fantasy. We don't talk the most Daily Fantasy, we don't talk the most Seasonal, we don't talk the most Dynasty, but we cover all three more comprehensively than any other provider of fantasy football analysis. And I'm going to bring Pat James from 4 for 4 on the show, and we'll talk DFS, but we're going to mix in some Dynasty talk because that's what you want. That's what the patrons are asking for. Because when I go to patreon.com forward slash podfather, what do I see? Dynasty leagues are already starting, and members of the community are soliciting membership into new Dynasty leagues. Startups are popping. Pop, 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 pop. Orphans are available. That's right, orphans. Please, sir, can I have some more Dynasty leagues? If you're not already thinking about 2019 and Dynasty, then you're not trying hard enough. I'm in a deep Dynasty League. I made seven transactions today. I'll tell you who I picked up. Certainly Brian Hill. We'll talk about Brian Hill more in a moment. I picked him up in a number of leagues, but in the deep Dynasty Podcasters League that I've referenced a handful of times, I picked up Steven Anderson and Ryan Izzo because either one of those two could be the Patriots' tight end of the future. Jacob Hollister is another one. Between Hollister and Izzo and Anderson, one of those three would step in if Rob Gronkowski retires in the offseason. I picked up Ricardo Lewis and Derek Willies because there is a talent void in that Browns passing game. If the Browns don't use high-round draft capital on a wide receiver, I think they will, but we're not sure they will. In case they don't, it's conceivable that either Ricardo Lewis or Derek Willies commands starter snaps next year. They have very little behind Jarvis Landry and Antonio Callaway. And we're not sure Antonio Callaway is going to be on the team next year. Very few players in the National Football League had a more tumultuous college career off the field than Antonio Callaway. I also picked up Matthew Days. Matthew Days projects to be the starter this week for San Francisco after they've lost Jarek McKinnon. They're shutting down Matt Breida. They're shutting down Jeff Wilson. Who's next? Who's the next man up? It's a guy named Matt Days who does not have impressive measurables, but he was productive at NC State. But I'm not nearly as hopeful for Matt Days as I am for Brian Hill. I think Brian Hill has a future in the league. He's six foot, 220 pounds, so he has the prototypical NFL bell cow size, and he's one of very few running backs in the league with a 70th percentile college dominator and a 70th percentile speed score. He's not excellent in the passing game. He's not a target magnet, but he is a quality receiver. Hyperproductive back at Wyoming through the Josh Allen years. <laughs> right? Brian Hill is a must-add in Dynasty because Tevin Coleman will likely sign elsewhere in free agency. Devontae Freeman is one of the highest-paid running backs, and he's coming off an injury-ravaged 2018 season and a derailed 2017 season. Devontae Freeman has not produced at a Devontae Freeman level since 2016. 
the Falcons are paying for 2016 Devontae Freeman, and they haven't seen it since he signed that contract. So if for whatever reason they decide to release Devontae Freeman in the offseason, I don't think they will. It'll create too much dead cap space. But running backs have been traded before. Jay Ajayi was traded last year. So you could see the Falcons opening 2019 with Edo Smith and Brian Hill at running back. Edo Smith is a phenomenal trade target, especially if Brian Hill breaks out this week. If Brian Hill smashes this week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a smash spot, Brian Hill comes out, rushes for over 100 yards, catches five passes for another 40 yards receiving, scores a touchdown. That further pushes Edo Smith out of the collective consciousness of the fantasy community makes him easier to acquire because, oh, now all of a sudden there's uncertainty. Who's going to be the number two slash number three back, depending on what happens with Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman for the Falcons in 2019? I'm going to bend my will to start the 2019 season with both Ito Smith and Brian Hill on my roster in Dynasty. And that Matt Days versus Brian Hill dichotomy is why Player Profiler exists. Brian Hill should be the clear-cut priority that he has a chance to be an all-purpose back in the league. Matt Days is a plotting, sub-replacement level athlete that will never be fantasy viable on a weekly basis. That's the difference. And as we head into the offseason, we start evaluating these college prospects. I'm reminded of last season, last February, where we came out and said, DJ Moore is the number one receiver in this class, and it's not even close. And this was at a time when Calvin Ridley was thought to be the best receiver in the class. By consensus. Suddenly, we're out here talking about this DJ Moore guy at number one. And Marcus Moser was like, whoa! And I was like, yeah, yeah. Marcus eventually came around. And that dichotomy, Calvin Ridley versus DJ Moore, best illustrates the quantitative prospect evaluation versus qualitative prospect evaluation. Traits versus production and measurables. But it's production first. It was not the burst score which tipped the scales in favor of DJ Moore. We were touting DJ Moore as a better prospect than Calvin Ridley before the combine. It was not about the athleticism, although certainly DJ Moore being a phenomenal athlete, far superior to Calvin Ridley in both the explosion drills and the agility drills. That helps. That matters. Athleticism matters in athletics. But the reason why DJ Moore was the best prospect in that 2018 wide receiver class by a wide margin was age-adjusted college dominance. It was the dominator rating and the breakout age, which tipped the scales clearly in favor of DJ Moore. But these tape-grinding drones on Twitter continue to claim that the only reason I was lower than Calvin Ridley than consensus in the offseason was based on athleticism, and those people don't get the show. They're not listening. The same people touting Calvin Ridley as the number one wide receiver prospect in the 2018 class also were pushing Sterling Shepard Three years earlier, same people, same process. And now I'm out here acquiring Sterling Shepard in Dynasty, playing Sterling Shepard in DFS in Week 16. Meanwhile, he's persona non grata among a lot of DFS pros who claim that his ceiling's simply too low to play. His reputation is now so entrenched as a one-dimensional possession receiver that he's viewed by many as the next Mohamed Sanu. He's not Mohamed Sanu. He's better than Mohamed Sanu. Sterling Shepard is a great route runner. He has great hands, and he's explosive. We are higher on Sterling Shepard on our Dynasty rankings. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Than most Dynasty leaguers who are over Sterling Shepard. They're so over him. He's going to be 26 next year. A year later, he'll be past the age apex. 
how quickly the fickle fantasy gamer can sour on a player like Sterling Shepard, who so many film grinders and route-running gurus were touting as a top three receiver in that 2016 wide receiver class. And now what? Two years later, where are we? He's an afterthought. He's a throw-in in dynasty trades. Sterling Shepard is the classic post-hype dynasty buy. And what did he do last week? Oh, showed off that ceiling with 113 yards, catching six of his seven targets. Why? Because he's a quality receiver. He has a 167-yard game this season when they faced, hello, Atlanta. In that game, Sterling Shepard had five for 167. That's 33.4 yards per reception. Calvin Ridley, five for 43, 8.6 yards per reception in that game. But Calvin Ridley is viewed as the next great young receiver. Sterling Shepard, well, he's dead weight on a dynasty roster. Do yourself a favor and jettison Sterling Shepard. Get rid of that dead weight on your roster. Infuse it with youth. That's right. That's the advice in Dynasty so often. Can't have these low-ceiling players like Sterling Shepard that can go out and get 160 yards on five catches. Ew! But that's the future for Calvin Ridley. The primary difference between Sterling Shepard and Calvin Ridley is that Sterling Shepard actually has explosiveness. Calvin Ridley doesn't even have that. If you want to look at traits, Sterling Shepard had more going for him coming out of Oklahoma than Calvin Ridley had going for him coming out of Alabama. So don't be surprised when Calvin Ridley follows a Sterling Shepard career path, a quality first season in the NFL, because both Sterling Shepard and Calvin Ridley were old rookies when they entered the league, two old prospects who capped out their abilities very quickly. Meanwhile, a player like DJ Moore is just scratching the surface. Yeah, but, but, but I didn't like Calvin Ridley because he lacked athleticism. That's right. Let's continue to build on that assumption with no factual basis whatsoever. They're just assuming. And you know what happens when you assume. And you know what happens when you assume. You make an ass out of you and me. Take Tyler Boyd. Take Tyler Boyd versus Zay Jones. Two second round picks. One, we were actively, aggressively acquiring in Dynasty last offseason. I acquired him in multiple fantasy leagues, and he saved me multiple leagues. I don't know where I would be in those leagues without Tyler Boyd. Acquiring Tyler Boyd this offseason has allowed me to rebuild on the fly. If you're not out here acquiring the Tyler Boyds, then you need to eventually blow your team up and start over. I never have to start over because I'm always churning my roster and adding the Tyler Boyds of the world, not based on athleticism, based on age-adjusted college dominance, but that will eventually win out. And that's what happened with Tyler Boyd. And on the other end of that spectrum, not burning roster spots on Zay Jones. Because that dichotomy perfectly illustrates the difference between chasing athleticism and chasing production. We don't chase traits because traits are fungible. It's a phony measurement system. There's no way to definitively measure a trait. That's why the analytics always blows the film out of the water. No better example than Tyler Boyd versus Zay Jones. The Highly athletic Zay Jones, 80th percentile or above across the board and all the athleticism measurables. And yet he's getting outplayed by Robert Foster and he will find himself in a precarious situation this offseason as the Bills will be desperate to add wide receiver talent to complement Josh Allen. And you can hear Buffalo Bills media already screaming for the Bills to surround Josh Allen with better talent at wide receiver so they can better evaluate him, right? 
we're not sure what he is. We're not sure what we have in Josh Allen. How can we know until we acquire quality receivers? Oh, we know. Here's what you have in Josh Allen, Bills fans. I bet SoundCloud is going to reject a future show title, Josh Allen Fart Noises, because we've already used it. Question just came in on the Patreon message board. Brian Hill or Vincent Smith? Who's a better stash in Dynasty? I will type live on air. Brian Hill FTW. A lot of conversations happening on Patreon. Joseph Barubi reminded me that I once called Kyle Rudolph the Red Zone Reindeer, and sure enough, Kyle Rudolph has five touchdowns during Christmas week in his career. Five career Christmas touchdowns for Kyle Rudolph, the Red Zone Reindeer. The patrons have better memories of past shows than I do. That is one of my favorite aspects of Patreon. And here's another question about Dynasty Leagues that I'll answer on air. Podfather, how do you handle rookie drafts in Dynasty Leagues that you administer? Good question. In the patron Dynasty Leagues, we allocate rookie draft slots as follows. Slot 12 goes to the champion, runner-up gets slot 11, and so forth and so on, going down the playoff teams. We have five playoff teams. It's survivor-style playoffs. They start in week 13. The lowest scoring team is eliminated. And the reason we start in week 13, not week 14, is because the highest scoring team during the regular season gets a bye. So we have four teams in week one, four teams in week two, three teams in week three, and then in the championship week four, two teams head-to-head for the championship. But it's those next seven draft slots that we allocate differently because it's the best, highest-scoring non-playoff team that gets the number one pick. The team with the least total points gets the seventh pick overall because every aspect of the dynasty leagues that I administer are engineered to incentivize winning. And before you go crying, oh, my team that's been losing can't get better because the podfather gives out the best draft picks to the better team. I'll never get good. Well, If you drive your car into a ditch, you have to try harder than the team that drafted well. That's just how it works in a meritocracy. And it ensures every team is competitive throughout the season. There's no issues with good players getting dropped, good players getting benched. Every matchup every week is competitive. If you care about competition and the best teams winning, then just look for all the areas in your league that are set up to incentivize losing and flip them so that they incentivize winning. It's that easy. And if you don't like it, cry about it. Go ahead. Cry. My poor daughter cried on Christmas Day because she didn't like the packaging of one of her gifts. And it taught me an important lesson, a mansion lifestyle gift-giving lesson. Perception is more important than reality. Packaging is often more important than the actual gift you're giving. We bought my daughter tickets to Wicked because she loves The Wizard of Oz and she loves musicals. So if you love musicals and you love The Wizard of Oz, you need to go to Wicked. It's a Wicked good time. But instead of getting actual tickets, I just printed a picture of the show's homepage and then wrote the date with a Sharpie on the piece of paper, folded it up, put it in an envelope, put her name on it, and put it in the tree. And that wasn't good enough. She wanted a card. 
That's all she wanted. She just wanted a card. She wanted me to put more thought into the gift. She wanted to know that I didn't just click a button online and click the print button. She needed that. She needed that reassurance that I cared enough to go and get a card and write some sentiments down in that card. Those tickets were hundreds of dollars, but a $5 card and a handwritten note would have made all the difference. In my head, I'm thinking, these are hundreds of dollars. Don't you, what the hell? Come on. How do you not love this? I just didn't take enough care with the packaging, whether it's jewelry, clothing, accessories. Take the time to put it in a proper gift box with tissue paper, a Christmas card, a handwritten note. You're better off with one properly packaged gift than three in those lame Amazon bags with a basic note printed on the inside. Those are impersonal. The packaging makes it personal. Now, let's get personal with Pat James. He's a featured analyst over at 4 for 4. Follow him at Pat James DFS on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. A newcomer. That's right, we have new blood. There will be new blood on the Underworld podcast. His name is Pat James from 4 for 4. Talk to me, buddy. How's it going? I, Matt, I just have to say that I love your enthusiasm on these podcasts. You, you just ratcheted it up a notch. That's right, because we were talking off air. I was a normal person, and I became <laughs> yeah. the podfather in a matter of seconds. I said, hold on, i got to become the podfather. Boom, here comes the podfather starting a podcast off right. And it's week 17, and it's a weird week. It's the weirdest week I've ever seen because there are so many quality players that aren't going to be available. Either their opportunities are going to be wound down or they'll be rested altogether. So it's a weird week. But before we get into that, week 16 was good to us. I'm actually traveling um, at my parents' house and we were watching some football this weekend, which is not something I always do, as, as you know. So we did have brunch and we just kind of lounged around and watched some football. Saints Steelers was one of the games of the year. I was heartened by the week 16 performances because in the previous month of games, you noticed a slow decline in the number of points scored. And I asked a handful of guests, have NFL defenses already caught up to NFL offenses? Was the NFL's offensive renaissance that we experienced that fleeting? And the answer was no. The NFL is now a high-scoring league, just like the NBA. The offensive resurgence that you're seeing is a long-term trend. It's not a blip, but I was getting nervous. And then, boom, Week 16 happened. So is what we saw in Week 16, was that the official signal that the NFL's offensive renaissance is for real? I think there's always going to be ebbs and flows, but as long as the structure of the way the refs are calling certain penalties now, I think that is giving teams a huge boost. Uh, They're definitely seeing... A lot more drives extended, especially on third down with a ton of these pass pass interference and roughing the passer calls. But just in general, it's easier to play offense, right? It's easier to design a scheme to beat defenses. And it does seem like offensive coordinators just have a leg up on on defensive coordinators at this point. But I'm hesitant. I'm actually going to be the first person to say that I'm hesitant to say that um, this trend is going to just be uh, undeniable going forward because I think in the NFL, everything is cyclical. We see 
things come full circle all the time. Uh, I don't know how soon, but I definitely think the offensive uh, juggernauts are, are here to stay for the most part. 82 points scored in Green Bay, New York. <laughs> Sam Darnold lighting everybody up. Pittsburgh, New Orleans, we had 59 points. Kansas City, Seattle, 69 points. It's nice. And my favorite, Washington, Tennessee, which we thought surely would be dragged into the mud. 16-25. I mean, that's a weird score. Right? 25-16 is just odd. But the bottom line is more than 40 points scored when Washington visited Tennessee. That, to me, was the most encouraging game of all. Yeah, with Josh Johnson and Blaine Gabbard under center for most of the game. Why not Josh Johnson? I'm looking at the quarterbacks this week. Why not Josh Johnson? Absolutely. If you like mobile quarterbacks with rushing touchdown upside, Josh Johnson's 4,800 at home against Philadelphia, a team that just gave up two rushing touchdowns to Deshaun Watson. To be honest, he looked really good in relief in that Giants game, and then he went on the road and faced two pretty good defenses in the Jags and the Titans. And this spot at home, play spoiler for the Eagles uh, at that price. He's definitely on the radar for sure, especially if you want to pay down in cash. I think he does have that floor for you. I think that he's the guy. He's the one fringe quarterback that's usable in cash every week. We're looking for that guy who might be under 5k on DraftKings to make a lot of dream lineups possible. The thing is, he's only usable in theory because you wouldn't actually construct a lineup in cash this week that has Josh Johnson on top because you don't need the salary relief. You don't need quarterback salary relief this week. So from a roster construction standpoint, you don't need him. But if this was a week where we could use these elite running backs at the top, the premium-priced RBs, if we wanted to use Christian McCaffrey, if Ezekiel Elliott was on the board, then we would be looking very closely at Josh Johnson. He'd probably be my favorite cash play of the week. I might feature him on my weekly email just to say, hey, we're throwing contrarian plays out there. We're giving you the least expensive cash viable quarterback, even if in practice you wouldn't actually use that guy. So beyond DFS, you're in some seasonal leagues, I'm sure. I noticed some bad beats on Twitter. Did you have any bad beats in the playoffs this season? I'll be honest. I can't complain about 2018 whatsoever. Uh, I took down my long-running friends league, which I think is the nuts of fantasy. I don't care. Oh, yeah, winning your home league. That's huge. Yeah, right? I have very old (laughs) trophies from winning my home league. I haven't won in a while. I used to win a lot, and then my league mates started listening to the show, and then they know all the players I like, and then we have an auction draft, and all the players we tout all summer get bid up, and I have no edge. My friends league is like uh, it's like a half and half. There's like five or six guys that are pretty sharp, and then five or six guys that are a donation. Um, so every year I'm usually in contention somewhat, but yeah, this year I took down my friends league. Um, this these last two weeks I banked the fair catch on DraftKings on Saturday night. Oh, yeah, it was it's been a, it's been a pretty good two weeks. Uh, in my work league though, I did have like seven injuries. I had like the most points scored all year, barely lost a game, and then didn't even make it to the uh, championship game in my work league. So that's that would be the one bad beat I guess I had. I had a bunch of uh, guys go down in the last two weeks in in that league. For me, losing on an Ezekiel Elliott stat correction isn't a bad beat. They just got the stat right. right? You thought you might have won, but it wasn't a legitimate victory. 
it was corrected, and you lost. wasn't a bad beat at all. The bad beats are when Keenan Allen goes out in the first quarter with a hip injury and doesn't return. That's devastating. That's impossible to predict. And then the problem is you're second-guessing yourself the rest of the week. Oh, he was playing against the Ravens. I should have benched him anyway. I should have known. No, no, no. You had the right process to play Keenan Allen based on the volume he was going to command and the fact that defenses are largely overrated. In the player projection game, the easiest way to get an edge is to underweight the defense. So I really feel for those people, those that played Keenan Allen specifically, so now you have a chance to reflect, looking back, what was that number one lesson you learned in fantasy football this season? Yeah, the note that I had jotted down was what you just said, uh, to underweight defenses when I'm looking at, you know, DFS pricing and just matchups in general. And I think and I think your last guest, Adam Levantan, who I follow closely and am a big fan of, he has mentioned it before in previous, I think on Twitter, I saw him say it somewhere, <clears throat> that... It, in extremes, I think we have to take them into account. You know, like the Ravens' run defense is unbelievable. Tampa Bay Bucks are giving up 400 yards through the air. But I think those middling defenses, when you're waffling between the 12th-ranked run defense and the 18th-ranked run defense, those are kind of things that you just have to tune out. Well, also situation-based as well. So if you're going on the road to the Ravens, that's a little bit different than facing the Ravens at home. If you are between the tackles grinder and you don't have outs, in the passing game, if you're not a part of a prolific offense, when you go on the road to face the Ravens, you're fucked. So that's the situation where, okay, what was a fringe play just became unusable. So of course defense matters. It's not that defense doesn't matter. Of course defense matters. It just doesn't matter as much as most fantasy analysts believe. But because so many of us are talking about the fact that defense is overrated, we're seeing a market correction and... As the years go on, I think that the opposing matchup will become a lesser talking point. But for now, it's a strategic advantage because these platforms like DraftKings are pricing players way down when they are facing a perceived difficult matchup, and then that becomes a great buying opportunity in DFS. This week, there are certainly opportunities for those that are following the news very closely because this is a farce with so many players not scheduled to play. Have you ever seen a Week 17 with more healthy NFL starters off the board for DFS? I don't think so. Uh, and even like parsing through through the motivation factor this week oh, yes. is difficult because there's still going to be teams that are out of it that are going to play their guys for their normal allotment, their normal workload. Um, so, it, And then to add on top of that all the injuries and who knows how late some of them are going to break. There's a few that I'm keeping my eye on that I don't know if we're going to know before 1130 uh, on Sunday. So it's definitely going to be, uh, you're definitely going to need to be in tune uh, late Sunday, Sunday morning. You're going to be on top of it before lineups lock, and you're going to be on top of the late game lineup lock for late swap this week because half the games are late. The NFL learned their lesson, and they decided to push these games late in the afternoon so you don't have teams playing in meaningless games late in the afternoon because of outcomes that happened earlier that day. That's why they do that. But either way, it looks like the Chiefs will be motivated. Green light to play Patrick Mahomes this week? Yeah, 100%. 34-point team total. They're going to uh, have the gas pedal to the floor. And, and like you mentioned before, there's really not a ton of 
RB studs that we are looking to jam in. So I think he's actually going to be pretty high owned this week, just based on the fact that uh, the first uh, RB off the board is probably going to be the first uh, high owned RB off the board is probably going to be Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I guess Saquon. Um, but I think even even in that instance, I think people are going to fear the fact that the Giants don't have anything to play for. Oh, they haven't had anything to play for for a while. Saquon Barkley wants to enter the realm of Eric Dickerson to be launched into that echelon of top rookie running backs of all time. I think he's going to play at 100% capacity this week. Looking at Patrick Mahomes, he's a screaming play on DraftKings. DraftKings wants you to play Patrick Mahomes, so you play him at 7100 big difference on FanDuel where he's priced all the way up to 9500 so FanDuel has not adjusted the quarterback position down based on the condensed range of outcomes that we see with the quarterback position versus other positions DraftKings has realized this and has tightened the pricing and condensed the range on quarterbacks so that you can't gain an edge by moving all the way down to quarterback like you could for so many years on all DFS platforms. So DraftKings is begging you to play Patrick Mahomes, and we will go ahead and comply with that request. FanDuel's a completely different story where he's 9,500, where he's 800 more than Ben Roethlisberger. At that point, you can start looking at the Josh Johnsons of the world. When we talk about playing Josh Johnson or Teddy Bridgewater, I think those are the two inexpensive quarterbacks you would consider this week. But that's only on FanDuel. You're just pressing the button on Patrick Mahomes on DraftKings. But with the old-school quarterback pricing that FanDuel offers, there you're incentivized to move down. I think Josh Johnson's the way to go. Teddy Bridgewater, I think Josh Johnson, the fact that he's had the reps the last few weeks, because uh, then you get the Taysom Hill factor. Who knows how much he's going to... Uh, steel work at the goal line. I think we're in agreement here. I agree with you. Josh Johnson is 6,500 on FanDuel. He's 800 less than Dak Prescott. He's 800 less than Teddy Bridgewater. So you're incentivized to play Josh Johnson on FanDuel and Patrick Mahomes on DraftKings. Mm -hmm. We just solved it. I mean, you're welcome. You now have your quarterbacks (laughs) to play at the top. And when Patrick Mahomes, it's cash and tournaments. You'll want to move off Josh Johnson in tournaments maybe go to Teddy Bridgewater so Teddy Bridgewater might be your tournament quarterback on FanDuel where Josh Johnson would be more your cash play on FanDuel it's interesting that that the DFS newcomers think of cash games as the contest type where you want to focus on the more expensive stable options at all positions and while that's true at running back for sure you're incentivized to pay all the way up at running back to lock in as many bell cows as possible in cash. It's the opposite with these other positions. You're more incentivized to move down at quarterback, down at tight end, down at wide receiver in cash games just to maximize the number of roster slots where you can fit in a true bell cow back. We just don't have any this week. We have Saquon Barkley, and that's it. What do you think about the pair of 6K backs Damian Williams and Jalen Samuels kind of stole the host there on you. I just I'm curious as your thoughts on those two this week. Damian Williams is the lock button running back for both cash mm-hmm. and tournaments in all formats, all platforms. You just play Damian Williams. He's the ultimate lock button this week. The question is James Conner. Is James Conner going to play? If the Steelers do not allow James Conner to play, because why the hell would they? They should not be playing James Conner. If he's going to be out multiple weeks, but you're going to consider 
putting him out there and putting his health at risk. Again, a guy that came back from cancer, you're going to go put him at risk when you have a very low probability of actually advancing to the playoffs. It would be whimsically irresponsible of the Pittsburgh Steelers to play James Conner. If he sits, I love Jalen Samuels this week. The issue then becomes, will a less expensive option open up down the slate that provides better value? And I'm thinking first and foremost about Brian Hill. So I'm happy to pencil in Jalen Samuels, but pivot to Brian Hill to open up more salary if Tevin Coleman sits. That means you're locking in Saquon. Absolutely. I want Saquon's upside in tournaments, and I want Saquon's floor in cash games, his opportunity share floor for cash games. So I'm locking in Saquon. I don't really need to talk about Saquon Barkley as a lock button. He's too expensive to be considered a lock button. If you're the most expensive and only true bell cow back that's even usable on the slate, I'm not going to waste my lock button call on that guy. I'm going to put it on Damian Williams because Damian Williams is the real deal. Damian Williams has a bell cow profile as well. He had that coming out of Oklahoma. He was just mm-hmm. a knucklehead. So he had the knucklehead factor coming out of Oklahoma. He was trapped in Miami where they insist on squandering the talents of running backs. You had like Jay Ajayi had to leave Miami to be freed. Uh, Jay Ajayi had to leave Miami to be fully appreciated. Now Damian Williams finally leaves Miami, and it took two injuries above him on the depth chart. He's better than Spencer Ware. The fact that they were just seeding touches. Oh, 100%. Based on seniority, right? The veteran deference. Instead of rationally self-scouting your roster and playing the best player, Damian Williams' versatility gives you an edge as an offensive coordinator in that defenses don't know what play you're calling. When you have the the between-the-tackles grinder Mm -hmm. in the backfield, there are only so many plays that can be called. When you put a true all-purpose back in the backfield, suddenly the play-calling range of outcomes really expands and makes the defense a lot less certain about what the play call is going to be. That's the advantage that the Chiefs offense has with Damian Williams in the backfield instead of Spencer Ware. So like I talked about with James Conner, Spencer Ware's missed multiple games already, and the third running back on that team, like Jalen Samuels, is actually more versatile than the number two running back who was operating in a workhorse role weeks earlier. So maybe the teams aren't looking at player profiler, and accessing the metrics on these players, but I think they have the tape. They've seen enough of Damian Williams. They've seen enough of Jalen Samuels to know, okay, these are primary backs in the league, and we don't need to push injured players to play before they're ready and put them at risk. Because what happens is if your body's not 100% and you're pushed to play, you're at risk of getting re-injured, not just straining a muscle or ligament that's not 100%, but... Because you're not quite as quick and agile as you were before the injury, you're more at risk of taking a huge hit. You're not able to protect yourself as well because your lower body is not operating at 100% capacity. That's where coaches are truly irresponsible, forcing players to play when especially their lower body is not operating at 100% capacity. For all those reasons, I want to play Barkley, Williams, Samuels, is, and there's only two ways to get me off it. Brian Hill opens up, or you can convince me to play Rod Smith. To me, he's like Jalen Samuels and Damian Williams. He's a big back that also has proven to be excellent in the passing game, so he brings that versatility to the table and puts the defense on their heels, just like Williams and Samuels. You agree? 
Damian Williams is being used a lot like Kareem Hunt, right? They're setting up those design screens. I saw a bunch of them last week. I think you're, you're dead on there. Why wouldn't they just want to use the same plays they were using with Kareem Hunt? Why would you opt to play a running back that forces you to cross plays off the board? Doesn't make sense. Play Damian Williams, Andy. Play him in the playoffs. Even if Spencer Ware is deemed healthy, they should be playing Damian Williams. And if they don't, it's a failure. Yeah, he's. I mean, he looks electric too. If he when he hits the seam, he's just he's a step faster than most linebackers. But we knew this. If you have PlayerProfiler.com, he has a 113.2 94th percentile speed score and a 120.9 burst score. So all you need to do, Kansas City coaches, is go to PlayerProfiler.com. P L A Y E R P R O P I L E R dot com. Type in Damian Williams, and you have your answer. Who should be starting in the playoffs? Who's his comp on on Profiler? You're gonna love this. This is great. Bryce Brown. <laughs> you know what? It's perfect because Bryce Brown is very much like Damian Williams. Yeah, he had some flashes. Yep. And Bryce Brown was Damian Williams for Andy Reid in Philadelphia. Yep. It's perfect. Wow. Yeah, it really is. I love it when comps work out like that. Rod Smith is attractive because he's less expensive than Jalen Samuels, and he's in a similar situation on a run-first team, and they're playing the Giants. Do we know that Zeke is going to be completely shut down? Because I think I saw some quotes from Garrett and uh, Jerry Jones that they are going to you know, play their normal game this week. and What? Not that I believe that. I know, I know, I know they're locked in. Well, for starters, we don't actually know if James Conner is going to play or not, and we don't know if Spencer Ware is going to play or not. There's a lot we don't know about what's going on on the slate based on when we're recording. So here it is. This is great. So because the Dallas Cowboys are such a backwards franchise, they lucked out winning the Amari Cooper sweepstakes, but in general, this is a backwards-looking, backwards-thinking, totally backwards franchise. They focus on all the wrong sorts of details. They actually believe that you need to keep your players fresh by playing them in football games and exposing them to injuries. They actually believe that, that the only way to keep their players sharp is to play them for a quarter before benching them. They really think that. He said the same thing in 2016 when they were locked into a playoff spot, and I think Zeke didn't play, Dak played two series or something like that. So I, I, it's not that I necessarily be- believe the fact that, that Zeke might play a quarter or two, but do I want to put substantial amount of money on the line not knowing 100% what's going to happen there? So I think, I mean, if Tevin Coleman sits, it's Brian Hill over Rod Smith no matter what. Brian Hill, 3,900 on DraftKings, Rod Smith, 5,500, but he's significantly less than Jalen Samuels. That's the issue. That, for me, is the friction point. If I can become convinced that Ezekiel Elliott will not play, and we're focused on Schefter. Schefter's the only NFL newsbreaker we can truly trust, except he was wrong about Todd Gurley. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't even trust Schefter with 100% certainty, but I'm going to be looking for that tweet from Schefter to give me the confidence to push the button on Rod Smith because Rod Smith has looked explosive. Rod Smith has been very active in the passing game. They're playing him at H-back. They sometimes run him out of the slot. He is electric and versatile, and he's the same age as Damian Williams. These are very similar players. Yeah, if I had to rank them at this point, not knowing if Tevin Coleman is out, I think 
I don't know if I'm going to be able to get up to Saquon. I mean, it all depends on it all depends on how my lineup shakes out, what I what I do at tight end. And I know you're locking Saquon in, but it's one thing to talk me out of playing three premium bell cows because a free square is opened up down in the running back player pool. I get it, mm-hmm. but I've seen way too many Jeff Wilsons torpedo cash game lineups this year and certainly we're not talking about a Jeff Wilson level talent even Brian Hill is a significant talent upgrade on Jeff Wilson but on principle my cash game lineups have performed better when I lock in those three premium backs so the idea that there would be one left and I wouldn't even use him would be sacrilege I haven't really gone through builds yet for cash games to this point in the week but I can tell you there's enough options at the lower price points that you can even fit in Ertz or Kelsey at tight end if you'd like. With Mahomes. Exactly, with Mahomes, because you have Jordy Nelson under 5K, who's been commanding a monster target share in Oakland. He's going against Kansas City. You have Chris Godwin at 4,300 at home against Atlanta. No thanks. He's a starting wide receiver on a pass-first team who gives you that bailout upside. He's been commanding a significant target share. And then if you want to go even lower, Kendrick Bourne is likely going to operate as the number one option in the 49ers passing game, and he's under 4K. So to me, I'm always looking for these inexpensive wide receivers. The next Dante Pettis, find me the next Dante Pettis, the next Robbie Anderson for cash games, and that's who I gravitate toward to allow me to play a Saquon Barkley. I don't think that this is a lineup that you could make. Mahomes, Barkley. This is a lineup you can make on DraftKings. Mahomes, Barkley, Rod Smith, Woods, Nelson, Godwin, Zach Ertz, Brian Hill, Vikings defense. That lineup fits on DraftKings. Okay. All right. I believe you. I just, in my head, it was not adding up. I'm going to screenshot it. Want me to screenshot it for you? You want me to screenshot <laughs> it? You want to you share screens? Let's do it. I want to see. You want me to open up a Zoom so you can share? My, I, I'm looking at it right now. All right. Remaining salary. Zero. Remaining salary, zero. Who's your defense? The Vikings. <sighs> the Vikings are playing danger play machine Mitchell Trubisky at home. I like to play defenses facing quarterbacks that enjoy throwing the ball into tight spaces and into traffic than the defenses facing teams with a high sack rate. The problem with playing a defense just because they're facing a team with a high sack rate is you're going to play some defense going against Eli Manning, and he's going to be giving up a lot of sacks. The reason Eli Manning's taking that sack is because he doesn't want to turn the ball over, whereas a guy like Mitchell Trubisky or early in the season Jameis Winston, they were throwing the ball up for grabs instead of taking sacks. Fitzpatrick, same way. So last week, for example, loved the Atlanta Falcons going up against Taylor Hineke, who is a fraudulent NFL quarterback, the 6'1 Old Dominion star Taylor Hineke promoted to his level of incompetence. Peter Principal Taylor Hineke was who you wanted to face. Regardless of what the Carolina Panthers' sack rate is, you want to face a defense that's going to benefit from the errant throws or the irresponsible decisions of a Taylor Hineke. That's my philosophy when playing defenses. And I love defenses at home, and I love defenses that have great playmakers at every level of the defense, and that's the Vikings. They're only 2,500, Pat. When can you play the Vikings at 2,500? 
See, I think I think I, I thought that you were saying you were getting Barkley, Samuels, and Damian Williams in there. I didn't know you were going to. No, 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 no. I didn't no, know you no, were going no, down to Rod Smith on me. No, 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 no. Yeah, it only fits if you have Rod Smith and Brian Hill. Now, after this conversation, if there's any doubt that Ezekiel Elliott will rest 100%, then you got to move up to Damian Williams. And then basically, you're just moving down from Godwin to Bourne. That's not a big deal. What about Isaiah McKenzie? You trust Isaiah McKenzie? Yeah, he's 3,700. He has 22 targets or something like that in the last three games. He's he's running out of the slot 66% of the time. And the Dolphins, you know, Bobby McCain, I don't know where they're going to put him. They had him on the boundary a little bit. They had him inside, but he's struggling. The Dolphins secondary is... Isaiah McKenzie has seven or more targets in three straight games, and he's the number two option, and I think he's a better player than Zay Jones because Zay Jones is terrible. Zay Jones is overrated. Robert Foster is an explosive playmaker on the outside, but he's very inconsistent because this is the first time he's ever played the role of full-time receiver at any level of football. Isaiah McKenzie actually has a track record of producing in an offense that wasn't an air raid offense. Basically, I'm a fan of playing any secondary receiver against the Dolphins. You have Xavier Howard absorbing coverage on either Zay Jones or Robert Foster. You know Isaiah McKenzie is going to get a free release inside. He has a 1079, 92nd percentile agility score, and he's fast. I love Isaiah McKenzie. He's just very small, but if he's commanding a high target share for three straight games and he's only 3700 there's your guy that fits. He fits better than Bourne because you need that extra $100 if you want to play the Vikings' defense. That's what I'm saying. Boom. Isaiah McKenzie is a gadget player. Kendrick Bourne's a gadget player. For sure. Isaiah McKenzie's a gadget player. But when these teams are forced to play gadget players in the slot, they're going to command seven targets a game. That's just how it works. Bourne and McKenzie have above-average athleticism, especially for uh, slot receivers. And I mean, Goodwin also might be out as well. I don't think that's flying under the radar. So if if Bourne is the number one, I mean, de facto number two with Kittle. I'm expecting Goodwin to be out. Bourne and McKenzie both have 80th percentile or above agility scores, which is what you're looking for in a slot receiver. There's a reason why these guys are commanding targets, because they have the lateral quickness underneath to gain separation on slot corners and vacuum up at least four receptions per game does have a 10-target game on his resume in Week 8, so I have to think that if he's elevated into the number one wide receiver chair, that he's cash viable. Because he's not a brand new receiver they're promoting from the practice squad. He's been playing significant snaps, at least a 30% snap share, since Week 4, and he has one, two, three, four games on his resume where he commanded a 90% snap share. So this guy, he's an established starter with rapport with Nick Mullins. I'm not going to get any more off the rails here, but I like Nick Mullins this week too. But yeah, those are my two favorite uh, wide receivers under 4K. And I think they just have such a huge target share projection this week for less than 4K on DraftKings that even if Brian Hill is out, I think he can make Saquon work. And I was just trying to give you a hard time about Saquon. He's obviously going to be uh, very highly owned in cash this week uh, and probably even in tournaments being the uh, only lead back, only workhorse back. And I don't want to make anybody think that I'm not a anti-stud running back or anything like that. That is... Yeah, you got to be careful with that. Yeah, playing two running backs over 8K has been my go-to this year uh, and basically every year 
team, quote unquote, you know, jam them in. Uh, they just this week, it's just with paying up for other positions. It just makes me weary. This might be the week that you should go out to brunch, to be honest with you. Oh, this is a low confidence week for sure. I talked about this with Tim Buell, one of the top DFS pros on the first mover podcast for Roto Grinders. This is a low confidence week. I will not, this is not a week to push your chips into the middle of the table at all. And if you're going to play, play in GPPs, but don't get crazy with cash games. Basically, the decision point is for me, if you don't feel confident about Rod Smith's opportunities, if Tevin Coleman is going to play, then you're going to end up playing Barkley, Williams, and Samuels. And even if you play McKenzie and Bourne, you can't play Ertz or Kelsey. The compromise to get to Damian Williams and Jalen Samuels with Saquon Barkley is going to be at tight end. And I would rather pay down at tight end than get off Mahomes. You agree? Oh, 100%. Yeah. This week, uh, especially, uh, Mahomes, I think, is in line for a floor of 25 to 28 fantasy points. And I think he's going to have one of his better weeks this week. What about Russell Wilson? I mean, Russell Wilson has been as efficient as any quarterback in the league based on all the efficiency metrics on playerprofiler.com. You could argue this was his most impressive season after he was the number one quarterback in fantasy football last season. His touchdown rate this season is truly stunning when you think about going well over 30 touchdowns and yet not being inside the top 20 in total pass attempts. Let that sink in for a second. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I have not been able to click uh, on the Russ button this year in DFS much, and it's because of the low number of pass attempts per game, uh, the efficiency rate. I mean, that's something that you want from quarterbacks, obviously them being efficient, but I just I convinced myself every single week that this is the week that the unsustainable touchdown rate doesn't pull through. You can't chase the aberrant touchdown rate. It doesn't matter if it's Russell Wilson. I don't care who it is. I don't care who you are. You chase that, you're doing it wrong. Yep. But in Dynasty, Russell Wilson should be a top three quarterback in Dynasty. You have to think that after Patrick Mahomes, there's very few quarterbacks you'd rather have in Dynasty than Russell Wilson. I think I'd rather have Jared Goff, but that's because I believe in Jared Goff, not Sean McVay and his parlor tricks. I believe that Jared Goff is the reason why the Rams' offense has been so good this year. So I'm a Jared Goff believer more than a Sean McVay believer. I'm also a Sam Darnold believer because if for no other reason than the fact that he's been on the field, that he's been starting games as the youngest quarterback in NFL history. Like that in and of itself is a reason to be incredibly optimistic about the future for Sam Darnold. And this was before he erupted the last two weeks. I was trying to trade for Sam Darnold in Dynasty two weeks ago. Has the Dynasty buy window on Sam Darnold closed? Mm. I mean, I think it depends on who you're in Dynasty leagues with, but the radar on Sam is is definitely... The window is definitely closing. Last week, I mean, and I know I know Green Bay might seem unmotivated and whatnot based on the fact that they were uh, eliminated, but man, he looked sharp last week. He is sharp. Seventy, almost seventy percent of his passes. He went over three hundred yards, 
And he's not working with much. That's the thing. Robbie Anderson is. Yeah, it's only Robbie Anderson's a proper NFL X receiver. He's not. Robbie Anderson is a situational deep threat. And that's just fine with Sam Darnold because he's so creative. He reminds me of Aaron Rodgers. The way he plays, his playing style, reminds me of Aaron Rodgers. It's crazy to say it, but this is also coming from someone who believed Keelan Cole was reminiscent of Antonio Brown. Mm. But you have to agree, right? You watch some of these throws by Sam Darnold, and you're like, I can see Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes making that throw, and that's about it. Since coming back from injury, he's been, I don't know what happened in those those weeks that he was out, but he has looked just like the number one uh, QB. He's so good. So we talked about late swap this week in DFS. With so many late games, how many winning plays do you think will be late swapped in? I don't know if the DFS community as a whole uses late swap as much as you would think, to be honest. But yeah, some of the, a lot of those 4 o'clock games are the games... Tim Buell thinks it's going to be key. But I mean, here's the thing, though. A lot of those games at the, in the 4 o'clock window are games that matter. So I'm not sure that there's going to be you know, late-breaking inactives that are going to surprise us. Most of those teams that are playing need to win. So you believe that most lineups will feature predominantly late-game players anyway, so you're not going to be able to glean much. You won't be able to draw many conclusions about where you stand against the field at 4 o'clock like you would another week. Correct. There's six games. I mean, there's going to be a ton of PMR left. You're definitely not going to be able to reverse engineer head-to-head lineups and try to block people or try to uh, you know, make your lineup a, a bit more contrarian to, to leap head-to-head contests that you are behind in because if you have three, four, five guys left in your opponent's lineup, it's going to be pretty much impossible to, to reverse engineer who they have. So I think I'm not I'm not sold on the fact that late swap is going to come into play this week as much as uh, you think. You're at least going to know where you stand if you play Brian Hill and Rod Smith and Saquon Barkley. Those are all 1 o'clock games. So you will know where you stand at 4 o'clock. If all three of your running backs have either gone off or dudded out, you'll have a general sense of what you need to do at wide receiver, who you can swap in, who you can swap out. If Brian Hill is the starter for Atlanta, you're playing him, right? In all formats? Yes. GPP and cash? I've been a fan of, and I used to be, before they banned it, I was a monster CFB DFS guy, and those late Saturday nights with Brian Hill, Josh Allen, Tanner Gentry. Oh, Tanner Tanner Gentry. He has a special place in my heart. And, I mean, if you if you watched the Atlanta game last week, he looked ferocious. Uh, he, he did like a, a double stiff arm where he got an unnecessary roughness penalty. It, he ripped a 60-yard run, and he, he has the Buccaneers. So if he's going to be seeing 15 to 20 touches, uh, I, I'm, not af- I'm not afraid of Ricky Ortiz or Jeremy Langford stealing touches from Brian Hill. At 3,900, if he's, he's going to get 15 to 20 touches, he's lock button. Brian Hill in Dynasty. If he's available in your Dynasty player pool, you need to go get him. You should have had you should have picked him up the moment the, the moment to pick up Brian Hill was when Edo Smith was placed on IR. The moment they placed Edo Smith on IR, it opened up opportunity share for Brian Hill. And if you looked him up on player profiler, you saw a two hundred and twenty pound running back with size and speed. And and based on his college target share, adequate in the passing game, that was a running back you needed to add in Dynasty Leagues. 
And in a few leagues, it's not too late. It's not too late to go out and get Brian Hill. And DraftKings is losing their pricing edge as the season has worn on. I think that the pricing algorithm, the bit checked out this past week, that they allowed backup running back Brian Hill to slip under 4K. They've been so good about pricing up backup running backs, particularly on the higher octane offenses on DraftKings. They blew it with Brian Hill, letting him slip under 4K. And if Tevin Coleman is ruled out, he's going to be so chalky. I'm coughing on the chalk dust. (laughs) Brian Hill. (laughs) Sorry. How eager are you to draft David Johnson this summer? Uh, Is it possible that we consider David Johnson a post-hype sleeper? Is that a label that people are going to use with David Johnson? I don't know. I think that... Not for me. Um, and it may, I guess it depends on where we see him. I can't believe we're here. We're, we're David Johnson. Is he a post-type sleeper? I think it depends on where he's going in drafts, obviously. But there's a lot of guys that I think will be uh, around his ADP in the summer that I'll probably want uh, a bit more. And maybe I'm I'm a little bit out of touch with Dynasty and Redraft until the summer comes around and I kind of see how everybody else is thinking what everybody else is doing um because my mind is more focused on you okay i have some brian hill chalk dust in my throat as well i think yeah good save i love it (laughs) um but yeah like joe mixon dalvin cook guys like that i think i'm i'm just gonna be higher on when it comes to best balls in the summer david johnson was such a fantasy football hero a couple years ago that i think that that perception will endure enough to push his adp up to a place that's reasonable sure we won't be this screaming post-hype value and then like you said he's just going to be in the mix with the mixins and the dalvin cooks that's probably the most likely outcome. And I know you're choking on this chalk dust, but I have bad news for you. We need to talk about Robert Woods. <clears throat> Can you believe that Robert Woods has scored 12 fantasy points or more every week since week one? You're talking about stability in cash games. No better example than Robert Woods. His middle name should be Cash Games. Robert Cash Games Woods. Yeah, and I think he'll be chalky this week based on the fact that he went almost for 30 in week 16, but honestly... He's still under 7K. I mean, yeah. I mean, what do you want to do? I really haven't been able to roster him much this year because I've been jamming in the the top studs. I've been having McCaffrey, Barkley, Elliott, uh, Gurley every single week in cash. So Woods has kind of been a commodity that I haven't owned a ton in cash games. Uh, but this week... I'm prefacing everything with that, but this week, based on the fact that there are going to be values opening up, I think Robert Woods is definitely in play. However, he really hasn't flashed a ceiling this year. I mean, last week he did go for 28, but everything has been 12, 16. He had a goddamn rushing touchdown, Pat. (laughs) I know. So I really don't think that he's as appealing to to me as as he is to the rest of the DFS community. I mean, I don't know. I'll we'll have to see where. Would you would you rather play Kenny Galladay in cash? Kenny Galladay is getting more targets and he has more explosive athleticism. He's just operating within the context of a low efficiency offense as opposed to a high efficiency offense of Robert Woods. I just haven't been using guys that are 6k and above at wide receiver in cash all year 
So I'm probably not going to. Well, so what you're saying is if we're building our roster with Barkley Williams and Jalen Samuels by default before news comes out on Coleman or Elliott, would you prefer to pivot off of Woods down to like a Jordy Nelson so you can play Zach Ertz? Yes. When you're talking about tactical lineup building, that's your preferred approach? Sure. Because And you have to look at it 2v2, 3v3, whatever, however many players are, are going to be affected by playing Robert Woods. I would much rather have Robert, or I'm, I'm sorry, I would much rather have Kelsey or Ertz over Robert Woods. I think their target share and just their touchdown equity is higher. And then if you pivot off that and look at Jordy Nelson versus who you would have at tight end if you played Robert Woods, maybe a C.J. Uzama, a Gerald Everett, I would much rather have, uh, or maybe even we'll say Evan Engram in that range, I would much rather have uh, one of those 4K guys uh, at wide receiver. If you play Mahomes, Barkley, Williams, Nelson, McKenzie, Bourne, Kelsey, Jalen Samuels, you can still afford a defense at 2200 And if Dallas sits all their starters, you got to consider the Giants at home against Dallas at, for 2100 I think I would rather the G-Man at home. That's the beauty of a weird Week 17 is you can lock in the Giants at 2100 against Dallas's backups. Mm-hmm. Led by Cooper Rush. Ooh, preseason hero. And the Giants' defense has been playing above expectation this year. I mean, they're not bad. They're priced down at 2100 just based on low ownership, but that's just perception. In reality, it's a better Giants defense than we've seen the last few years. Yeah, they had a stretch there against, I think it was the Bucks and the Bears, where they were they were really getting after the quarterback. And then the Redskins, too, I think. Yeah, they blew them out. Bingo. So you're not into Robert Woods in cash, understandable. Brandon Cooks in tournaments, though, right? He's going to be fine, right? We're still playing Brandon Cooks in tournaments, right? 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 Yeah, I mean, I think if you look back, he's he's gone up against... Patrick Peterson, Darius Slay, uh, the Bears over the last few weeks. Think about that. I mean, this is the perfect buying opportunity to play Brandon Cooks at lower ownership at 6.6K on DraftKings. Come on, man. Is that not a GPP lock button? I don't know if it's a lock button, but I definitely think he's going to be underowned and he's in a prime spot now that he's not facing a top corner. He's going to be underowned and he's in a prime spot and he runs a 4-3-3 pat. Listen, I know, I know. I think you just answered the question. Adam Thielen, could you play him in tournaments? Yeah, I think he's in the, he's in the same spot. Uh, he has the massive price drop. He's 7400 I think that's probably the lowest he's been all year yeah. on DraftKings. Uh, the Vikings are in a must-win situation. The Bears are... The matchup. Oh, the matchup, Pat! Bryce Callahan's out. Correct, and the Bears' run defense is pretty damn good. So I don't think that the new coordinator switch to a little bit more run-heavy approach is going to you know, pay off this week. Now, one late swap option will be... Playing Doug Baldwin by default and then swapping to Tyler Lockett if you're behind. Would that make sense? Or is Baldwin just playing too well to swap out? Yeah, I think at this point, Doug Baldwin is is the play. I don't think that. And we saw Tyler Lockett, you know, he has that crazy last-minute separation move where he's catching those 45-yard bombs from Russ. It looks like he's neck and neck with the defender, and then all of a sudden he's six yards past him. But Doug Baldwin was banged up, and you know Russ is only throwing the ball 26 times a game. But now that Baldwin's healthy, he's in, he's 
virtually the best receiver in football. I mean, what? That's that is a listen, 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 listen. In fantasy football, I should say. Look at the way he's he's Russ is throwing him the ball. Last week was the first week Doug Baldwin commanded more than ten targets all year. Right, and we could we could also say that last week was the first week that he was healthy. Are you his doctor? Uh, <laughs> he looked healthy. Dr. Patrick James with us on the Roto Underworld program here. So you're playing Doug Baldwin in all formats then. But uh, Doug Baldwin, he's still over 6K, so he's above your cash ceiling. No, he's not a cash game play. Nope. I think he might be. I think he's interesting in cash. The problem is you're not going to play two wide receivers over 6K in cash. Probably not going to do that unless it's wheels up for Rod Smith and we get the green light on Brian Hill. Do you remember a couple years ago when Doug Baldwin was scoring like three touchdowns a week for like a month and a half? He had 13 touchdowns that year. He has upside. He's a great receiver. He looks healthy. I love him. But you're not playing him in cash because that's just not your thing. I get it. But I'm arguing that he'd be a cash play because his target share is trending in the right direction. It's hard to find those guys. We're playing Robert Woods because they can't bench all their receivers in Los Angeles because they only have five active receivers on the roster. Robert Woods is going to have to play. Seattle's locked into one of the away wild cards. With Doug Baldwin, they've clinched a playoff spot. They're playing to either go to Chicago or go to Dallas. So if they win, they go to Dallas. They want to win because they don't want to have to go to Chicago in round one. That would be their motivation. And the Rams do have the Rams can can slip down into the wild card if they lose. So I they have they have Whoa, motivation really? as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that real? That happened? It's not an issue if the Rams are going to be balling out this week that was a blind spot i had i've always thought of the rams as locked in to a first round bye they could let it slip through their fingers unbelievable play robert woods <laughs> talking about kenny galladay earlier will kenny galladay be priced like a top five wide receiver next season every year you have a guy that moves in like adam thielen just moves into that upper echelon of wide receivers do you think next year it's going to be kenny galladay it definitely could be. I mean, he's he's flashed that ceiling. They basically, uh, I mean, we've seen it now that Marvin Jones isn't on the field. I don't know how much he's going to impact him next year. But obviously, getting rid of Golden Tate that was a ton of targets. So he, I think there was a perfect storm here in the last few weeks for Kenny Galladay. I don't know if the philosophy changes in Detroit, but he's definitely a talent. Marvin Jones might have the same effect on Kenny Galladay that Will Fuller had on DeAndre Hopkins, where Will Fuller's presence, while crowding out a handful of targets, raises DeAndre Hopkins' ceiling, makes it more difficult for opposing defenses to bracket cover him. I think the same is true for Kenny Galladay. If Marvin Jones is on the field, that keeps opposing secondaries honest Kenny Galladay sees more one-on-one coverage he has more splash play potential so you're saying that Bruce Ellington and TJ Jones don't afford that for Galladay so often fantasy gamers argue that adding weapons keeps defenses honest and helps other players in the passing game and so often that's wrong based on the law of the conservation of targets nine times out of ten your team adds a receiver it hurts all the receivers because they can't make up for the lost target share with additional efficiency. There are a handful of cases, like we see with Will Fuller in Houston, 
where an upgrade at the number two receiver position or a field stretch or some situational asset in the passing game actually helps the number one receiver. It's a rare thing, but it does happen. And when it does happen, I think it's interesting. Yeah, and I think it depends on the type of receiver. Someone like Will Fuller, who is going to stretch the field, take the top off the defense, kind of spread that defense out for sure. Um, I don't know if Marvin Jones is necessarily the complement to Galladay, more so than he's kind of the same guy. And he's he does take a... I think he'll be a complimentary receiver. I believe Kenny Galladay has officially broken out to such a degree that he is the alpha in that passing game. And the ship has sailed. Marvin Jones is never going to get that number one wide receiver chair back. Oh, I agree with that. So we agree. Yeah. And I trust your player valuations more than my own. That's very kind of you. Thank you. What about Robbie Anderson this week? Is that point chasing? No. I mean... We just got done. He's under 6K. He's under that Yeah. That hard ceiling you have, Pat. Yeah, that arbitrary number that I threw out. That arbitrary number. Like, Mike Williams last week was point chasing, right? Keenan Allen goes out. He yes. scores on a reverse. He scores touchdowns. That was point chasing. Robbie Anderson's not point chasing. He's probably going to see upwards of 10 targets. Um, Sam Darnold looks like the best rookie quarterback. No offense to Baker Mayfield. The last two weeks, he's looked like the potentially could have been the number one pick. Um, there's nobody else in New York to to catch passes. So I think and and his 5400 isn't. He really didn't see that much of a price bump. So I don't think Robbie Anderson. The price bump was 900 on DraftKings. That's significant. It is, but for if you look at if you look at his production over the last three weeks, the targets, the fantasy points, the touchdowns, he probably should be even more than that. Jordy Nelson's averaging nine targets per game the last four games. He's still under 5K. It's almost impossible to not play him in cash, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it's impossible not to play him, but he definitely looks like one of the most appealing guys under 5K on DraftKings, that's for sure. And would you agree that Chris Godwin qualifies as a cash play even though he's not the number one option in that passing game it's still technically Mike Evans even though Chris Godwin is a better receiver he doesn't have Mike Evans target share therefore he is the number two but if you're the number two in a pass first team that throws the ball 50 times you're still cash viable right you have the bailout upside there's a great case to be made for Chris Godwin in cash and I don't think that every fantasy gamer thinks of Chris Godwin as a cash play I wouldn't fault anybody for landing on him in cash, but I'm not going to actively try to get him in my lineups with Adam Humphreys, with now Deshaun Jackson's back. Um, his snaps dipped a little bit last week, and I know he's he's a freak. Um, I know that uh, CFB DFS, he was a monster for me a few years ago. He's been a great process play because even when he doesn't fire, he gets 10 targets. It's just sometimes they're not accurate. He's been inefficient these last few weeks. He's gotten boatloads of targets and, and hasn't really done much with them. And I think it might be a little bit... Process play! And I think it might be a little bit of my own implicit bias. I've played Adam Humphreys a ton this year and have had, you know, he's he's done pretty well. So I think I just might have a little bit of a, of a hidden bias against Godwin that I might have to work through. But I don't think I'm going to land on him in cash. Well, Humphreys had 12 targets last week. So Humphreys is still getting targets. The problem is he's 1,100 more than Godwin. That's the issue. 
they priced him up based on last week's 17.9 DK points. That's going to happen because the targets he was getting were catchable. Godwin's targets weren't catchable. That could flip this week, and you get Godwin at a discount. It could, but I'd rather play. I'd rather play Bourne and McKenzie. Right, their their target shares are a bit more guaranteed. I know, I know. Kendrick Bourne offers the highest expected target share for the dollar. You're playing Kendrick Bourne over McKenzie, right? Because McKenzie's still competing for targets with Foster and Jones. Bourne has less competition for targets. He's competing with Trent Taylor and Richie James. So I would I would put Bourne ahead of McKenzie. I was thinking really hard about a Bourne identity joke, and I just couldn't do it. I really wanted to do it. And now I'm trying to back into one of these meta Bourne identity jokes where I talk about the Bourne identity joke I didn't make to get in the Bourne identity joke. It's pathetic. So this week, so we've decided we're paying up for tight end this week. Kelsey or Ertz? See, here's the thing. In cash, if you have Mahomes and Damian Williams, I think you... You play Ertz. You play Ertz. You got to hedge it out a little bit. You can't be too overweight on one team. You want to hedge it out in cash. Correct. I love it. Ertz in cash, Kelsey in tournaments, assuming you're playing Williams and Mahomes, and you better be playing Williams and Mahomes if you have to move down at tight end. I mean, C.J. Uzoma's the new number one in Cincinnati, right? Yeah, you know what, though? He didn't get much of a target bump last week. He still got his five, his usual five targets. Uh, Driscoll has looked pretty wretched. That's kind of the problem, right? Why would you play C.J. Uzoma when you can play a tight end with a similar athletic profile who's actually operating on a prolific offense like Gerald Everett, for example? Would you rather play Gerald Everett? He's also less expensive. Right, he's cheaper. He has pretty much, he's actually seen more targets over the last three weeks, and he gets those... uh, I know we were talking before uh, we went on air here, and you mentioned that he has uh, some pretty good, uh, he has a good burst score, good agility score, et cetera, on player profile. Oh, yeah. I would be higher on Gerald Everett if he were 10 pounds heavier. He's an incredible athlete, but he's a move tight end. If he were 155, I would love Gerald Everett, but I still like him. I still like him as like a more athletic version of Trey Burton. That's still good. That's still a guy you like, especially at under 4K on DraftKings, operating in the context of the Rams' offense, getting seven targets a game. Hello? Right, so if you're smitten with Robert Woods or Doug Baldwin and you want to flip-flop Ertz and whomever for for Everett and and Woods, then I don't see anything wrong with that. Oh, that's right, because last week we talked about the Robbie Anderson, Chris Herndon cash hedge. You're hedging out some of that target share and TD variance risk. You do the same with playing Robert Woods and Gerald Everett in both cash and tournaments. It's just in tournaments, you're probably not going to play Woods. You'll play Cooks. So Cooks and Everett in tournaments, Woods and Everett in cash. Sounds good. Now, there's been some rookie tight ends that have been erupting week to week. I'm thinking of Mark Andrews. I knew you were going to say that. I'm thinking of Jordan Thomas. Rookie tight ends have been producing this year. You know who hasn't produced? Mike Gusecki. Has Mike Gusecki fallen out of the top three rookie tight ends in this class? Because now he's competing with Chris Herndon. He's competing with Mark Andrews. He's competing with Dallas Goddard. Mm -hmm. Mike Gusecki's desperately holding on to dynasty relevance at this point after being the number one tight end drafted in dynasty rookie drafts last year. He's been awful. Is that like a stake through your heart of the player profiler uh, heart that you have? Absolutely not. I'm not a Mike Gusecki enthusiast. I am Team Goddard. 
I'm a Dallas Goddard stan. And Dallas Goddard producing in 12 personnel, in spite of the presence of Zach Ertz, has been one of the under-discussed pleasant surprises of the year for me. Mm -hmm. Because I have Dallas Goddard on every taxi squad. I am so excited for him to be unlocked at some point. He's basically beaten out Golden Tate the last few weeks for snaps. They, they just basically said, you know what, Goddard has been just a little bit more effective than having Tate out there. It's true. To me, if you're going to invest in a tight end that's not been getting a full snap share in Dynasty, it's still Dallas Goddard. Even though I love Chris Herndon, he's been great. I think there's a great chance that he ends up being the second best tight end from this class. But I don't think he's going to be better than Dallas Goddard. So Sunday morning, you're going to be setting lineups right up to lock. But on Saturday, you having brunch at all? I'm not a brunch guy. What? That's that's correct. Oh, no. You don't like a nice omelet? You don't enjoy a nice quiche with a Bloody Mary? There's a little coffee shop by my house that makes uh, some great quiche. I do like some quiche. So quiche is your favorite brunch item then? Here's the thing. I don't know. I don't eat brunch. Like I don't have like an 11 o'clock meal is what I was trying to say, but I do like brunch foods. Oh, right, right. So like uh, more, I guess maybe you say they're breakfast foods, but here's what you do. You take a waffle or a pancake or a biscuit or whatever your preferred carb is for brunch or breakfast, and you smother it in sausage gravy, and then you drizzle maple syrup over the top. You kind of get the sweet, the savory on top of the pancake or the waffle or the biscuit or whatever you, whatever you like. That's That's the end of it. That's the end of me, man. <laughs> Love that. So you do play Dynasty, even though you're more of a DFS head. Correct. Do you have a guy in your taxi squad that you're not dropping that you think other Dynasty leaguers would drop, but you qualify for truther status on this guy? All right. So he's not necessarily a taxi player. Maybe he is for certain teams, depending on who you have at wide receiver. But I, I, I know I've gone back to this a few times during this podcast. CFB DFS, College Football DFS, yes. was was my baby. I used to write about it before, uh, in between writing about the NFL. I watched Josh Doxson corral balls that I thought were going into the third row uh, that Trevon Boykin threw. I thought they were going through the uprights. Guy was a pterodactyl at TCU. His catch radius was inbounds. You know, like he was unbelievable, so and good. I can't, I can't believe that the production that he had at TCU hasn't translated. He even posted that great agility score at six three two ten. I don't understand it. I don't understand how he's not a great route technician at this point in his career. It doesn't make sense. I know. I don't get it. It has been one of the more baffling outcomes. In my career in this business, watching Josh Doxson become the next Devontae Parker. Very weird, very sad. So cheer me up with a bold prediction. For next season, give me your boldest. Give me the boldest you got, Pat. Are you ready for this? Because I don't know if you're ready for this. I'm not ready, actually. So hold on. Hold on. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. I'm flexing my abs. I'm ready to be hit. All right. I I hope this doesn't underwhelm you then. Kareem Hunt's out of the picture. They realize that Spencer Ware is is a fat guy that doesn't have the pass game abilities of Damian Williams. Right. Next year, <gasps> Damian Williams will be a top five running back in total fantasy points scored.
At the end of the season, Damian Williams is a top seven running back total point scored. Okay, go back and say top five because top seven is too arbitrary. You and your arbitrary thresholds. All right, all right, all right. Damian Williams will be a top five running back in total fantasy points scored. Oh, my God. I hope that happens, man. I already gave up on him in Dynasty, so I don't have him in a lot of leagues where I had him two years ago. But, man, I hope that happens. Just for the principle of the NFL is a meritocracy, where eventually, if you have the size-adjusted athleticism and you work hard at your craft, you'll eventually be given an opportunity to succeed, and if you do, you're rewarded. Damien Williams personifies the American dream. Are you ready for this? Because I don't know if you're ready for this. I bet SoundCloud is going to reject a future show title, Josh Allen Fart Noises, because we've already used it! I'm not a brunch guy. There will be new blood on the Underworld Podcast. This show's going off the rails. I don't normally do it like this. This is why I'm the host and you're not. Boom! Here comes the Podfather starting a podcast off right. There's a lot of mouths to feed. In fact, we should have been thinking it was going to be Gerald Everett all along. He had six targets in a game where Goff only threw 24 times. And they, they hit him on a lot of those play-action passes where... He's usually wide open. You know, he just like leaks out after the after the play action and he could turn it upfield. His targets per snap is top five in the league. And he has athleticism too to turn a short pass into a longer gain. Not quite at that George Kittle ridiculous level. It's a shame that he played in at Iowa. The coach is incompetent and never features a tight end and fitting players into a system instead of fitting a system around the players. I had Davis on, I had Evan on. You're not a staple of the swole cast. Schefter's the only NFL newsbreaker we can truly trust. Except he was wrong about Todd Gurley. <laughs> so, I can't even trust Schefter. I don't think that this is a lineup that you could make. In my head, it was not adding up. I'm gonna screenshot it! Want me to screenshot it for you?! You want me to screenshot it? You want to share screens? You want me to open up a Zoom so you can share? My, I, I'm looking at it right now. All right. Remaining salary, zero. You trust Isaiah McKenzie? I don't even know who Isaiah McKenzie is. I just looked him up. I don't. I trust him about as much as Chris Godwin. What about Tim Patrick? Isn't Isaiah McKenzie on Denver? No, he's on the Bills. Wait a second. I, this is going in the outtakes. He was a Bronco, right? No, 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 no. He's going to be so chalky. I'm coughing on the chalk dust. Brian Hill. Are you ready for this? Because I don't know if you're ready for this. Is he a post-type sleeper? Because my mind is more focused on. You okay? I have some Brian Hill chalk dust in my throat as well, I think. There Yeah, yeah, good save. I love it. Players like Brian Hill are why player profiler exists. Right? 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 No, I don't eat brunch. He had a goddamn rushing touchdown, Pat. His middle name should be Cash Games. Robert Cash Games Woods. The matchup. Oh, the matchup, Pat. There's a lot of mouths to feed. No, I don't eat brunch. But now that Baldwin's healthy, he's in virtually the best receiver in football. What? Process play. Yeah, that arbitrary number that I threw out. No, I don't eat brunch 
And I trust your player valuations more than my own. Trust your player valuations more than my own. I'm a Dallas Goddard stan. No, I don't eat brunch. I'm not a brunch guy. I'm flexing my abs. I'm ready to be hit. I'm not a brunch guy. That's the end of me, man! I have some Brian Hill chalk dust in my throat.